This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're tackling pregnancy's public enemy number one in episode number 189. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hey mama, I hope you are doing well today. We are going to dive right into something that is really important to talk about. And I don't know that I've ever done an article or a post or a podcast that's directly tackling this topic before. And I felt like it was definitely time to do that. We're going to talk today about preeclampsia, which is known by many variations. The old-fashioned name for it was toxemia. Today we have HELP syndrome, uh, high blood pressure. If you're worried about just just quote-unquote vanilla high blood pressure in pregnancy, this episode is for you. Uh, But I'll probably refer to it as preeclampsia most often. We're going to talk about what the evidence says about it. We're going to talk about its prevention, and we'll also touch a little bit on can it be reversed if you've got that diagnosis. So if you don't know me, my name is Kristen Burgess. I work with pregnant and new mamas who want to have wonderful, healthy pregnancies and who are planning to have natural births, even beautiful, sacred natural birth experiences. And I also love working with mamas who want to intentionally create a peaceful home that is filled with love and a happy, if rambunctious, family. So that's me. And let's just dive right into things here because I have a lot to say and I'm going to try and fit it into my typical 30 to 45 minutes and we'll see if I can do that. So I want to start this episode off by saying that I honestly, truly, 100% believe that natural methods can help prevent preeclampsia or even completely prevent preeclampsia. But I also want to acknowledge that you've got some women who are struggling with high blood pressure or beginning signs of preeclampsia for whom having some assistance medically is going to help as well. So I feel like if this is something that you're worried about or a risk factor that you have, it is a good idea to have an experienced care provider on board, an experienced OB, perinatologist, or an experienced midwife who has dealt with this and who has handled this. And I also believe that you should fully implement the things that I'm suggesting, uh, or at the very least dialogue about them with your care provider. But for reasons that I've discussed in, in many other Uh, podcasts and videos that I've done recently. Sometimes obstetrics is behind on the research. So I think if you are going to dialogue with your care provider, it may be worthwhile to take some of the studies or at least meta-analyses with you or at least the names of those and point out that this is what the research says. Now, some care providers are going to be pretty gung-ho. Okay, you know, do whatever you want with diet. But we're going to talk about a few things that are like taboos or sacred cows and sacrificing them has been a little bit difficult. So if you need some help with that, definitely plan on taking the research and to talk about it with your care provider. But I do think that having a care provider can be really helpful If you're at higher risk or if you're at a pregnancy where these warning signs have begun to appear, because it's just really, preeclampsia is no joke for moms and babies. It's definitely a complication that we want to prevent and watch out for, and it's definitely an issue that we want to have experienced care on hand if we see signs of it as we also implement natural techniques. So we're going to start with that sacred cow that I mentioned, and that is salt. So... A lot of people today, even in like the non-pregnant world, 
associate salt with hypertension, with high blood pressure. But the truth is only about a quarter of the population appears to be sensitive to salt in relation to high blood pressure. Ethnically, we may see some ethnic differences like in um, black males seem to perhaps have a higher uh, sensitivity to salt which if you're a male, you're not getting pregnant. So we don't have to worry about that from a biological perspective. But ethnically, we want to just acknowledge that there may be differences. But also there's pretty compelling evidence that diet itself seems to impact salt sensitivity. And we're going to come back to that, but keep that in mind. I want you to first focus on the fact that most of the population is not, in fact, sensitive to salt in in the sense that their blood pressure is going to be impacted by salt consumption. So salt restriction isn't going to make a difference. And especially when we look at pregnancy, restricting salt is absolutely 100% not evidence-based. In fact, salt restriction can cause the very problems that you're trying to remove by prescribing a salt-restricted diet. And we actually knew this decades ago. Remember, one of the things that I talk about is that obstetrics sometimes lags behind by decades. I mean, you see that with all medicine, but particularly with obstetrics. It can lag behind the research, but the truth is is that we knew decades ago that salt-restricted diets were dangerous for moms and babies, and yet that may be something that's still recommended to women to help prevent preeclampsia. And I think one of the reasons is because of this outdated notion that salt in the diet can cause high blood pressure, and also I think it's because we correlate preeclampsia with swelling, and there is some swelling, physiologic swelling in pregnancy that's normal, but there's this thought that salt causes water retention that causes swelling ergo we need to get rid of the salt in the diet and we know that correlation and causation are are not the same thing and salt removing salt from a pregnant woman's diet or restricting salt from her diet is really really dangerous we have some good quality studies that show this now and the Cochrane collection has a meta-analysis that shows You know, a meta-analysis is an analysis of many studies, and the Cochrane Collection is highly respected because they have pretty stringent criteria for studies they will allow inclusion of. In fact, if you go to the Cochrane database, which, which they don't look at just pregnancy and birth things, they look at all kinds of stuff. But if you look, you'll see that they have some topics where they'll note that they couldn't do a meta-analysis on this topic because there wasn't enough, uh, there weren't enough high-quality studies available. And so the Cochrane Collection is a pretty respected meta-analysis body in the world. And they have done a meta-analysis of uh, sodium intake in pregnancy. And they have concluded that it doesn't seem to have any protective effect on preeclampsia based on the studies that they analyzed. Remember, a meta-analysis is looking at many different studies, high-quality studies in the case of the Cochrane Collection. And it's analyzing those studies and saying what seem to be the results that we see most frequently. And that's what they're seeing with salt and salt restriction is that it doesn't seem to help. Um, And we also know, you know, that it could actually harm. So I find it interesting. um, Lily Nichols, whom I've interviewed on the podcast, I'll link to her interviews. She has written some about this as well um, in her book, which I'll also link to her book. She's got two books, but this is her, um, Real Food for Pregnancy book. She has one on gestational diabetes as well. And she she talks about this in her book. 
where she points out that there was a study done way back in 1958. And I find this really interesting because this is back in Dr. Brewer's day. And this is one of the reasons why the Brewer diet is still a solid choice for pregnant women. Uh, There was a study done where they wanted to see if salt made a difference for pregnant women, i.e. adding salt. And I believe if I remember correctly, it was something like four heaping spoonfuls of salt. I can't remember if it was teaspoons or tablespoons, so we should definitely take a look at that. Don't follow this advice until you know, because there's a big difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon. But these women added, quote unquote, or they were to measure out these heaping spoonfuls every morning, and then they were to have, quote unquote, consumed those by the end of the day. So it was kind of like they 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 heaped out their dosage of salt, and then by the end of the day, they needed to get that salt on everything. And what they found was with women who were, even with women who were showing signs of preeclampsia, that those symptoms appeared to be reversed when the women added extra salt into their diet. And I find that really, really, really fascinating. And the cool thing is, is there was a 2014 study that replicated these results. So looking at it much much later and much more recently to the time that I'm recording this podcast, a study was able to replicate the results of that 1958 study. Another story that I like that is similar to this is that, and and I think this illustrates the wisdom of women's bodies so that you don't necessarily have to measure out these heaping spoonfuls of salt. But Dr. Brewer did this study in his clinic where women would come in for appointments periodically and they would be served a meal. Like, you know, you come in for your prenatal appointment, you get served a meal. How cool is that? I actually had that happen in my first few pregnancies when I saw my midwife when I lived in South Carolina because I had to travel a long way to get to her and she would usually feed me. So I actually did have that experience where I had prenatal appointments where she would have lunch ready for for me for my appointment, which is just super sweet. I still love her to this day. Um, But anyways, that was a little aside. So Dr. Brewers in his clinic, the women would come in, they would know they were going to have lunch. And what Dr. Brewer did was he had the nurse set out a salt shaker and the salt shaker was always measured. So he knew exactly how much salt was in the shaker. And then after the nurse would measure the salt shaker again. And what they found was that in the first trimester and then the second trimester and then the third trimester, the woman, she would have the same meal, but use progressively more salt. And to me, that speaks to both the physiological need of the body and also a woman's wisdom for knowing what she needs, especially when she's eating good whole foods. We're going to come back to sugar in a little bit because sugar really messes things up and it can mess up your bodies or your knowledge of what you need. But I believe that the goal for pregnant women and for all women and all people should be to, to move towards intuitive eating, but realize when you're eating a lot of processed food and you're eating a lot of sugar, a lot of carb, like a lot of carb, a lot of fat, and not a lot of protein and a lot of foods in their natural form, it can mess up that intuitive ability, which is why I think it's really helpful to have pregnancy diet guidelines, as well as working towards being more intuitive in your eating. Because if you're intuitive eating, I know that, you know, I know that, um, you know, when you're reading unassisted childbirth, Lori's talking about, you know, if I intuitively wanted pizza, that's what I ate. But I do believe that in pregnancy, we want to see, you know, what feels intuitive to us when we're eating a nourishing, uh, nutrient-dense, high-quality diet. But anyways, what we see with salt 
is that not only does salt restriction not help, salt restriction may actually harm, and providing adequate salt to pregnant women makes a big difference. And the reason for this physiologically, and I hinted at this last week on the episode about uh, intrauterine growth retardation, is that all of our systems change in pregnancy, and that change and that support of your body as well as your baby's growing body, the placenta, the uterus, and all of that jazz, is the cardiovascular system, which is under a lot of stress in pregnancy and undergoes profound change. Your blood supply increases by about 60%. And it's necessary for your body to be able to maintain that physiological change and keep everything else going. And the primary way that it does that is through osmotic pressure, through being able to maintain that expanded blood volume. That's why, I don't know if I put it in my notes or not, but um, Gail Hart, who is a midwife who has done a lot of research, she talks about in her resources that we correlate higher iron levels with a greater risk of preeclampsia in women. And the belief is the reason for that is because when a woman has a high iron level, Um, it could be an indication that her blood supply hasn't expanded because actually we would normally see a slight drop in a pregnant woman's iron levels around 28 weeks or so because that is the point physiologically when blood volume reaches its max expansion. And so you would expect to see a little bit of dilution of the blood. Sorry that I apparently have an adventure crew out there doing something. But I hope, I know I'm talking technical right now, but I really want you to understand because I believe that you deserve to understand. So what we see is this blood volume expansion and we see, you know, a number of factors like the iron levels dropping slightly that indicate that this blood volume expansion has occurred and that's a healthy thing. And when we don't have that blood volume expansion occurring, then that's when a mother and baby are at higher risk because the entire body is struggling because it's not getting what it needs. And that's one of the reasons why we believe that having this extra salt in pregnancy, and again, I do believe that pregnant women do well with salting to taste. I I feel like as a pregnant woman, you should try and eat nourishing whole foods, not so much processed stuff that has added salt, but eat nourishing whole foods and always have a salt shaker at the table. Salt to taste, please, because it's just needed by your body. And it's needed for your baby. And it's so protective. So it is a myth, you know, that we need to restrict salt in pregnancy. And actually getting additional salt is protective for preeclampsia. I also mentioned earlier that salt sensitivity seems to be related to diet. In other words, if you fix salt sensi- or if you fix your diet, the salt sensitivity seems to go away. And one of the big things for this appears to be sugar. So when women are getting a lot of sugar, particularly fructose, so if you're drinking a lot of sodas, you're getting a lot of high fructose corn syrup other ways, it, it seems to be the processed foods that contain fructose, there seems to be greater sensitivity to salt in the body. So when you switch to a more whole foods diet and a whole Whole foods diet does not necessarily mean a plant-based diet. I'm going to be talking about this on a live video coming up where I talk about surprising, um, surprising foods, surprising pregnancy superfoods. That's what I'm trying to say. That what we see is that animal foods are really important, and I spill the beans. I'm going to spill the beans on that live video. So definitely check that out. I think that's next week's live video. Um, but so I'm not saying when I say a whole foods diet, I'm not necessarily talking about heart healthy whole grains and lots of veggies, even though we'll come back to the veggie superstars uh, in this episode because they're there. 
but I'm really talking about eating natural healthy foods. So that could include lots of veggies. We want you to get those good veggies in, but it could also include animal foods. It's just staying away from the processed things like sodas, like chips, like candy. Any processed food that includes a lot of fat and a lot of sugar is probably something you want to stay away from as much as possible. So when you take those foods out of your diet, this oversensitivity to salt seems to disappear in human beings, including pregnant humans. So that's something to consider for sure. And in fact, along those lines, a lower carbohydrate diet seems to be highly protective against many, many, many complications during pregnancy. And when I ponder this and think about this, I I really feel like the reason may be because we saw, you know, Dr. Price, Lily even talks about Dr. Price in her book, Um, And I've talked about Dr. Price before. He was a dentist in the 1930s who went out and looked at many indigenous cultures and many cultures that just weren't quote-unquote modernized. Like he looked at Gaelic cultures, Swiss cultures, as well as cultures, Polynesian cultures, African cultures, just kind of all over the world. He looked at these people and he looked at what the difference was between like these mountain hamlets and Polynesian islands and stuff. And then the people living more industrialized lives who seem to struggle more with disease and tooth decay and that sort of thing. And, and some of those cultures ate a lot of carbohydrate. In fact, a lot of them did. Now in the Polynesian cultures, there's a lot of fish and stuff. But when we look at say the Gaelic or the Swedish cultures, they were eating a lot of oats um, or, you know, a lot of dairy products, which dairy, some dairy is higher in carbohydrate. And I, and I think, one of the reasons why we saw higher carbohydrate and it was women were still okay and had healthy babies is because it was different than the high carbohydrate today, which is all really processed, always combined with fats to make those, you know, those salty, savory treats that we like so much or those sweets that we like so much, you know, the buttercream frosting and the donuts and the the chips that are really greasy and also all carbohydrate. You know, if you look at just a simple potato or just a bowl of oatmeal, it's different. But what we know overall in pregnancy is that lowering the carbohydrate level decreases risk greatly for gestational diabetes. It's better for baby's brain growth. It's better for mom and baby overall going into the future. It's just better for mom and babies. And it also seems to correlate with lowering... Uh, the risk factors for preeclampsia. We see that a lower carbohydrate diet goes hand in hand with lower blood pressure. So lower blood pressure, lower blood sugar problems is really good. And one of the, we see this reflected in the, um, in the newer updated protocols for the Brewer diet. So when Dr. Brewer was doing his diet, he was, he was a little bit after Dr. Price, so not quite contemporary, though I think he started his education about the time that Dr. Price was doing his research. But, you know, Dr. Brewer actually recommended a baked potato once a week, which we certainly think about as carbs. But I will say that the Mighty Potato has a lot going for it if you're not having it with a lot of other sweets and super high-carbohydrate diet and, and, you know, potato chips and stuff because it has tons of potassium, which is critical for pregnancy. We'll come back and talk about that as well as many trace minerals and that sort of thing. And you just can't stuff yourself on a lot of potatoes. Like you'll get really full. A pound of potatoes, a pound of steak, a pound of broccoli, you're going to be feeling pretty full. A pound of potato chips, you're probably going to be reaching for six more bags. So that's something to keep in mind too. But Dr. Brewer, he passed away in the, in I think 2005. Um, so But people have continued to do his work and build on his research. And one of the things that you'll see, like from Joy Jones, who is a nurse who actually worked with Dr. Brewer, and she's really passionate about the Brewer diet, is there's some updated guidelines where 
for example, instead of having all carbs from like bread or pasta or rice or that sort of thing, you can also get your carb exchanges from the Brewer Diet from winter squashes and uh, berries and those sorts of things. So you can get it from starchy veggies really is what we're looking at, starchy veggies rather than straight carbs. So it is possible to follow the Brewer Diet and have a bit lower of a carbohydrate level. And I'll come back and talk about the starchy veggies again because they have other advantages as well. Um, There was a Norwegian study done that showed that higher sugar diets were predictive of preeclampsia. And so that, again, is just something to keep in mind. Dropping those sugar levels lower is really, really, really important. Now, calories are still important, and I think this is one of the hesitations, especially with people who are teaching the brewer diet to recommend lower carbohydrate level because that might reduce calories overall. And this is... This is research that I've done for myself and my own health and that sort of thing. But when we look at calories, we know that we want to have that level of calories that the Brewer Diet recommends, which is like a minimum of 21 to 2300, like 2300 to 2600 calories a day is kind of that Brewer sweet spot, which can be a lot of calories for some women. Um, And so the concern is if you drop the carbs, are you getting the calories? Well, first of all, the number of calories per gram of carbohydrate is four calories and per gram of fat is nine calories so if you're getting high quality fats which we'll touch on in a minute and you're prioritizing those you're going to get more calorie bang for your buck from the high quality fats which you absolutely need to have in your diet for multiple reasons pregnancy is not a time to go on a quote-unquote low-fat diet but I also want to remind you that when we talk about protein which is the other macronutrient in the macronutrient trio it gives you four uh, calories per gram as well. So it's the same as carbohydrates. And in pregnancy, we know that protein is super, super important. So if you can replace some of those empty carbs that you're getting with healthy uh, healthy starchy veggies, like the winter squashes and such, or even some non-starchy veggies, as well as a lot of protein each day, you're going to reach that calorie goal that you want to reach. And it's really important to have that. Uh, But So let's talk about the fats and then we'll come back to protein. So healthy fats are really important and we especially see that omega-3 fats are protective against preeclampsia. So you want to have that salmon. If you can have salmon, wild-caught salmon is the best. Uh, Because you want the fish to have the most natural ratio of healthy fats and and those good omega-3 fats. So wild-caught salmon is the best. If you can do that, then do that. And I know that cost can be an issue. And so I would say that if you're making... I found that often the sauces that you would make for chicken or fish taste good on each other. So even if you're going to serve the rest of the family chicken for dinner, if you can eat fish, that's good. Or if you know you, a lot of moms make a slightly different lunch for themselves and their kids. And if you can have a salmon filet with a salad for your lunch and serve your kids something different, then do that. Or, you know, if you're going to serve them maybe white fish, homemade chicken nuggets or, or excuse me, homemade fish sticks or something then, but you have a salmon filet, then do that. Don't feel guilty about you prioritizing your nutrition while you're growing this brand new little person because it's protective for you, it's protective for them, and their brain, the new baby's brain, just loves it, just loves it. So there are strategies that you can use to get that in. For me, I 
I craved smoked salmon during my pregnancies and, and ate a lot of it. So that is something that you can consider as well is, uh, is you know, smoked salmon along with your salad or something like that. Um, or you could do a fish stew. There are many ways to be able to get it in, but do prioritize that. Other good sources of omega-3s are pastured eggs and pastured meats. You may have heard that O meats have omega-6s in them, but what we actually know is that pasture uh, raised meats have omega sixes, whereas feet, or excuse me, have omega threes. Pasture raised meats have high omega three profiles, whereas like feedlot CAFO operation meats tend to have higher omega six levels, and it makes sense because they're eating corn and grains, whereas cattle or sheep or anything that's out on pasture, goats, any pastured animal has higher levels of omega-3s because they're eating grass, which is actually what they're supposed to eat. And humans are omnivores. We're supposed to eat everything. And that's something to keep in mind too. As well, pastured eggs are a really good option. So if you've got a local farm or if you keep chickens, then those eggs are going to be really good. And eggs are actually a super important component of the brewer diet. They're one of the building blocks of the brewer diet. Two eggs a day. Eggs are also a superstar because of choline, really rich source of choline, which is super important to your baby's brain. Again, a lot of these foods that are protective of preeclampsia are also important for baby's brain development. So they're foods that you want to prioritize. Uh, Another thing that's really important as we're talking about fats is to avoid trans fats because trans fats, high trans fat consumption does seem to be correlated with higher risk of preeclampsia. So you're going to want to get those processed fats out of there. Again, those foods that are really carby and really fatty, like those baked goodies and those fries and those chips and things, are the foods that we want to avoid. Whereas the healthy fats are fats we don't want to be scared of. Uh, Other things like coconut oil and avocado oil and avocados themselves, nuts and seeds, all of those fats are pretty healthy fats. So you can eat and enjoy those fats somewhat liberally during your pregnancy. You want to get rid of the foods that are the combinations of all of the bad stuff like the super processed fats and sugars. And you may also want to keep overall carbohydrate levels a little bit lower. And I mean, I'm not saying that you need to go out and gorge on fats, but you definitely want to make them a priority. You and your baby need them. Your skin needs them. Baby's body needs them. Baby's brain needs them. Your brain needs them. Your baby's brain is so greedy for healthy fats, especially those essential fatty acids, that your baby hoards like 10 times those essential fatty acids. So you need to eat enough for baby to get what he or she needs, what baby wants to hoard, and then what your body and your brain needs. Sometimes I wonder if one of the reasons why women struggle so much with postpartum blues and depression is I think it's a lack of support for sure and a lack of acknowledgement that mothering is a rite of passage that is profound in women's lives and needs to be honored much more that's what I work with a lot of women in when I'm working with them one-on-one but I also think that you know mom's brains are kind of starving for healthy fats because of this low fat emphasis that we have in our world now so eat fish eat eggs organ meats are also great sources um, of, uh, of quality protein and quality choline. Um, they tend to be leaner, but they're another good source of some of the things that we get. So coming back around to protein, let's, let's shift there now. Uh, protein is really important. Protein is 
protein is one of the macronutrients, but protein is also one of the building blocks um, of the brew diet. So when I say building blocks, there are certain foods that you want to eat, like eggs. But then there's really three principles to the brewer diet, which is protein, uh, salting to taste, and getting enough calories. And those things are really protective of that circulation of that blood supply that I talked about, which is protective of everything else and delivers all of these good nutrients to your baby's body and to your body and to all of your organs. So protein is one of those things and you want enough protein, which is at minimum 80 grams of protein a day. And I really believe that pregnant women need way more than that. We're talking like, and I think the studies that Lily has profiled in her books also recommend more than that. 80 was Dr. Brewer's bare minimum. And I really believe that pregnant women need to be looking at at least 100 or at least 120 um, grams of protein a day. If you look at like a healthy woman, the average size woman in the United States is five foot four inches. And a good level of protein for her every day is like 120 grams of protein. So a pregnant woman needs really even more than that. So I would say that 100 is your bare minimum. And you want to go to 120 plus if possible. And if you're carrying multiples, oh my goodness, you need so much more. And I would also recommend, I'll put this in the show notes because I don't have it there yet. I would recommend for you Dr. Barbara Luke's book, um, When You're Expecting Twins, Triplets, and Quads. Uh, because she talks a lot about an evidence-based diet for multiples, and it involves a lot of protein and a lot of food. But again, you're you know you're literally eating for your life and your baby's lives, <laughs> so you're eating for your life, what everybody wants to hear. Um, but again, those three things are what help facilitate this blood volume expansion and the the health and robustness of the circulatory system, which in turn impacts the profound changes in every other system of the body as well as building you and baby's body. So you need plenty of protein every day. And uh, especially glycine is uh, a nutrient that you get from protein. Glycine in and of itself seems to be protective against preeclampsia. Good sources of glycine are slow-cooked meats, so pot roasts, meat roasted on the bone, uh, poultry with the skin on, so if you roast your chicken or your Thanksgiving turkey, those are really good sources of glycine. Bone broths are a good source because, of course, you've simmered a long simmer with the bones and probably bits of meat here and there. Collagen and protein powders can also be good sources of glycine. I think that it's okay as pregnant women to get some of your nutrition through or some of your protein daily through a protein powder. I mean, I usually am not pregnant, but in order to help myself get the protein that I need, I usually make a shake at dinner time for myself that has Greek yogurt and um, some ultra-filtered milk that's got a higher protein level and one little scoop of a protein powder, which is actually half of the serving because the the serving is two scoops. But, you know, I do use that. It's a high-quality grass-fed protein powder. But I think this is a trap that I fell into in some of my earlier pregnancies was, oh, I'll just eat protein bars or something to get all my protein in. When in reality, we can't forget the rest of the brewer diet or the rest of a healthy pregnancy diet, which is uh, getting the number of calories you need. And that's I actually have uh, a pregnancy diet class where I go into a lot of the, I go into this in a lot more detail. I go into the science, metabolic, biological component that I'm touching on here. And then I also get really, really practical on, okay, how does this look in real life? How do you really eat this food? How do you really get these nutrients in? How do you fit it into your budget? How do you fit it into your food preferences? I go into that in the pregnancy diet class. And so, you know, that is a class that I would recommend that you take a look at if you're interested in 
you can enroll in that class if you go to birthbabylife.com slash diet, just birthbabylife.com slash diet. And again, I, I, I not only go over the science in great detail for you, but I also go into the nitty gritty practical because I know that that can be what makes the difference for us, right? Is like, okay, Kristen, this all sounds good and I'm committed to my baby's health, but how do I actually do this? And I've done it through eight pregnancies under a lot of budgets, including needing WIC and food stamps, starvation kind of budget. Um, and it it is possible to, to eat a healthy pregnancy diet on any budget and under any circumstances. And I fully 100% believe that. Another thing that I end up working with one-on-one clients a lot with is, okay, Kristen, I want you to take me by the hand and do that. And if you feel like you need that help, I do have some slots open right now. You can email me, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and we'll jump on the phone and chat about that. But I do also have the class, which is at birthbabylife.com slash diet. So again, I just want to remind you that protein is so important and it's important to get these high quality sources of protein and some protein powder or collagen powder here and there is good. It has that good glycine in it, but don't rely only on that. You need to get food as well because you're also trying to get calories and other nutrients. One of the things we don't want to do, we don't want to take super processed foods or tons of supplements. I will talk some about supplements if you've been wondering. But I'm talking about whole foods because the reality is is we just know that food provides so much more. It's kind of like breastfeeding versus formula. Like formula is made up of these things that we know that baby needs, but we discover every single year more about the complex beauty that is breast milk. And, you know, you just can't replicate all of that in, in addition to the love. And maybe that, that's part of the food too is, you know, when you've got food made with love. I know at least in my home, food equates love and family time and fun. And so maybe there's a little bit of that in there. But I want to encourage you to, to, to think about getting what you need to prevent preeclampsia from food from a whole foods nutrient-dense diet rather than just thinking, oh, I'll take a supplement here and there because that really, there is no magic pill. In fact, and I should have said this at the beginning of the episode, but even with all of the research that we've done into preeclampsia, we still don't completely understand why it happens. So what we're doing is looking at things that we know are going into it, like the fact that we do believe that it appears to be based mostly on cardiovascular problems, particularly things impacting the placenta, which is why we look at diet and these other factors that create a healthy cardiovascular system in a pregnant woman and support that all throughout pregnancy and that support the health of the placenta, including the vascularization of the placenta. Okay, I'm sorry that the kids are screaming in the background, but they sound mostly like they're having standard disagreements, so I'm just going to let them them holler and I'm going to keep teaching. Uh, so again, when we look at what is protective. And I think what I was about to say before I had a kid scream interrupt me is that if you can look at these things pre-conception, I think that would be really good, especially if you have struggled with preeclampsia and a past pregnancy, then looking at these things preconception can be really good. We know, for example, that a low-carb, high-protein diet boosts fertility, which is a win if you're hoping to have another baby. And again, it's also bringing those protective factors on board even before you've conceived. So the moment that you've conceived and your baby's body is beginning to form and the cells are beginning to differentiate into baby and placenta, and the placenta is coming online, you know that you're doing what you need to do. I know the first trimester can be really tough, and you don't need to hit the full brewer diet in the first trimester, but do try and what you eat. Try and make sure that it's high quality and make good food choices. Like, I've told this story before, so you've probably heard it. In my fifth pregnancy, I was really struggling with prenatal depression and eating 
All I wanted was peanut butter sandwiches, but I felt guilty about that. And so I didn't eat a lot. And my midwife was finally like, Kristen, if the only thing you can eat is peanut butter jelly or peanut butter sandwiches, eat those. And I thought to myself, well, at least I'm going to choose a peanut butter that doesn't have any trans fats in it. Um, But the, you know, the outcome of that story is when I started eating and getting enough calories, I felt better and was able to diversify my diet. And the second half of that pregnancy went beautifully. But, you know... Even if you feel like, well, all I want is peanut butter, but I'm at least going to choose a peanut butter that's a natural peanut butter that doesn't have trans fats, please do that. Please do that for yourself. Um, Baby steps. Remember, I might not yet be eating the full brewer diet, but I'm working towards it. Uh, But do remember that diet is just highly protective. And the sooner you can get on board with this, the better, because we do believe that it's so protective of the circulatory system and the vascularization in the placenta, and that's what we really want to help. So the earlier, the better, especially if you're worried about preeclampsia because you've had it in the past or you know that you may have higher risk factors. You're an older mom. You've had problems with blood pressure going uh, into this pregnancy. Definitely get on board sooner rather than later. Another thing that we believe may have protective effects um, is probiotics, and we know that uh, like pro, there again. This was another Norwegian study. Uh, Norwegian moms who had probiotic milks or probiotic dairy products in pregnancy that seemed to correlate highly with protection against preeclampsia. So we know that probiotic vegetables, like fermented vegetables such as sauerkraut, are also really healthy during pregnancy. But especially those fermented dairy products seem to convey some of their own protection. And that may be because the moms were A, getting the probiotics, and they were also getting that high-quality dairy protein as well. That When we're talking about food cornerstones of the brewer diet, like the eggs I mentioned earlier, uh, dairy is another cornerstone. So getting dairy exchanges to provide yourself with the equivalent of four cups of milk a day, which is a quart of milk a day. So you could get that through cheese. You could get that through Greek yogurt. It doesn't necessarily have to be milk, but it's the equivalent of that. And if you get it through Greek yogurt, you're actually going to get a lot more protein than you would get just through the straight milk. But if you were using the milk or using an an ultra filtered milk like Fairlife milk that has higher protein, you'd end up getting higher protein. But you want that bare minimum, which is a quart of milk, which equals 32 grams of protein a day. And again, it's high quality. And if you're having um, like a whole milk, then you're also getting a high quality dairy fat. But if you're trying to watch carbs, you may not want fluid milk. You could do like the Fairlife milk, which is lower. But I would say if you're watching the carbs, Greek yogurt, or even hard cheeses, the advantage of yogurt over cheese is that yogurt is higher in potassium than cheeses, and so you still get that potassium. But I think that getting a mix of hard cheeses and, say, Greek yogurt, you're going to get a lot lower carbohydrate, but you still get that dairy, um, so that can be good. But And I kind of swerved off in that from probiotics. But I do want you to know that studies seem to, to indicate that probiotics have a protective effect, and probiotics are just good all throughout pregnancy because they help... Um, they help you to with morning sickness. They help with your microbiota in your um, vaginal area. And that can be protective against GBS. So what we see here, and I think you've probably noticed a trend, is that all of these foods that I'm recommending and all of these dietary strategies that I'm recommending as being evidence-based are protective for multiple reasons. Like going all the way back to the salt that I opened the podcast with, um, That's even protective against intrauterine growth retardation, which we talked about last week. So when you follow these principles to prevent preeclampsia, what you're doing is really giving yourself and your baby the gift of much greater health all around.
So really good for you and baby. I mentioned choline already. Choline is really good um, for brain development in your baby. Eggs are a super source of choline. They give you a good percentage of your choline every day, which is another reason why we go back and say, thank you, Dr. Brewer, for your advice. Uh, Liver, again, is a high source of choline. I think I mentioned that. Supplementing with choline seemed to be, in and of itself, highly protective against preeclampsia. I recommend that you get food-based choline for sure because, again, then you get all of the other things that those foods bring along with them, such as good iron levels, protein, all of that. Eggs, your two eggs a day on the Brewer diet give you 12 grams of protein. So if you look at that, your milk, your dairy exchanges, and your egg exchanges uh, give you Sorry, I'm doing calculations. I think 44 grams of protein right there. So that's almost halfway to your 100 grams that I told you should be your bare minimum just from those exchanges. So again, remember, we're getting a lot when we eat the whole food versus supplementing. But having said that, supplementing choline seems to be protective against preeclampsia. So choline is highly protective. Then, of course, we have the usual suspects. I put this in there because, you know, our usual suspects that you get told are superfoods and good to eat. Leafy greens, especially kale, seems to be a, that's a great pregnancy superfood. It's kind of funny because I've had trouble liking kale in the past and I finally found like a a kale chip recipe that the kids and I tried last week and everybody scarfed it down. And so I think we'll be able to enjoy a lot more kale in our home. But I know a lot of y'all have developed a liking of kale already. Kale is wonderful. It's high in potassium as well. Um, lower in oxalates, which are something, you know, you may want to avoid. I'm, I'm a little more aware of oxalate levels of food because of having struggle with kidney stones. Um, but we know that lots of potassium and lots of calcium are also protective against Uh, all of that and help counterbalance. If you do like having a spinach salad, it's okay to do that. But especially uh, kale is a good choice. But all leafy greens are a great choice. Berries are a great choice. They're high in antioxidants and they're also a lower carbohydrate fruit. So they're a great choice in your pregnancy. Blueberries, strawberries, mixed berries, all of those are a good choice. Um, All of our leafy greens and veggies are going to be higher in antioxidants. I mentioned avocados already. Great source of potassium as well as those healthy fats that I already mentioned. And winter squashes are another good source of potassium. They're a good source of healthy carbohydrate during pregnancy. They give you micronutrients that you need. All of them high in antioxidants. Another thing that seems to be protective is calcium. So calcium is really, really, really protective. Um, We have studies going back a long way, kind of like with the salt, that seem to show that calcium is protective against preeclampsia. And and the the, the reality is is that it seems like even the crappiest calcium supplements, the lowest quality calcium supplements on the market, seem to help. Now, calcium um, supplementation isn't necessarily a given for women, but it does seem to have enough benefit to say that if you're at risk for preeclampsia, it may be something that's good to consider supplementing with. Gail Hart has written about this extensively. I mentioned her earlier. And, you know, she shows that calcium definitely seems to correlate with lower preeclampsia, lower prematurity. It just seems to be overall protective for women. Um, Again, if you're getting high quality dairy in your diet, if you're eating a lot of bone broths, like maybe consider in lieu of all of these you know, cups and cups and cups of pregnancy tea, which I'm not a huge fan of. I think a cup or two of red raspberry leaf tea a day is good. But too many herbal teas can have a diuretic effect, which could be dangerous during pregnancy. That diuretic means you 
you let go of fluid and you actually want to kind of keep fluid there when you're pregnant. Um, So in lieu of all of those cups of pregnancy tea, have a cup or two and then have a cup of bone broth or have a bowl of soup each day that's made with bone broth. You're going to get a lot of calcium from that. Salmon on the bones, another good source of calcium. Vegetable sources of calcium can be good too, but animal, again, animal foods are unsung heroes and they really help you get that nutrient density in. So get that. Though again, supplementing calcium during pregnancy is something that you may want to consider if you know that you've got risk factors for preeclampsia. I said that I would mention supplements. So the other supplements are that are really good to consider are calcium, of course, but a supplement that's got calcium, magnesium, zinc, and it seems to be really good, and you can actually get CalMag Zincs. Uh, some pregnant women choose to supplement magnesium anyways because they're having leg cramps or other things going on. But we know that calcium and magnesium seem highly protective, and some studies have shown that when the supplement had zinc in it as well, that showed protective effects for preeclampsia. Iodine is another one that seems to be protective, and many pregnant women are deficient in iodine. So that's another evidence-based study seem to show protective effects. Food or supplement-based source. So if you're looking at supplements, the supplements that seem to show the most promise are CalMag Zinc, iodine, and then also vitamin D. Vitamin D is important during pregnancy, during breastfeeding. We know that when mom has greater vitamin D, baby has greater vitamin D, breast milk has greater vitamin D. So those are all things to know. I believe that, especially if you're in higher northern latitudes, that a vitamin D supplement, particularly one with K2, is a good idea to take throughout your pregnancy and while while you're breastfeeding. I was actually just talking with a one-on-one client about this. Who's She's had her baby and she's nursing now, and we were talking about this the other day. It's just, I think it's a really prudent idea, and a quality supplement is a good idea. And I can link, I can put some links for supplements in the show notes for brands that I really like. I like Seeking Health best of all. There are other couple quality brands like Thorn, and I will link to those below if you're wanting to look into supplements. But please remember to start with diet. If you're overwhelmed and confused like Kristen, how do I even do this? How do I even put all this in? Then definitely check out my pregnancy diet class. Go to birthbabylife.com slash diet. I walk you through not only the science that I've gone over here, but also those practicals like how do I make it fit with my food likes and dislikes? How do I make it fit with what I want to eat? I promise you, you can do it. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of moms at this point to help them get that figured out. You too can do it. Now, real quick, because I know that we're getting into a long episode here, a few other evidence-based things that I want to mention. One is movement, i.e. diet, or excuse me, exercise. Diet and exercise both seem to be proactive. So get a movement practice going. You do not have to like sweat to the oldies and kill yourself every day. But I would recommend at a bare minimum that you walk every day or dance every day if you want to do a dance. like body, I like body groove. That's why I mentioned it, I think, a few times or at least on a live body groove. Um, she's got, she's just so much fun. But if you're like, oh my gosh, it's winter. I'm not walking Kristen. Then put on a body groove track and dance. I think Misty is her name. Dance with Misty every day. That would be a great thing. Of course, you can definitely do a prenatal workout that you want to do in particular, but get some movement in like that walking or a little bit of dancing every day or do a prenatal belly dance. I also love prenatal belly dance like Maha Almusa's program. I'll link to that as well. Uh, that would be protective. And then 
If you can get in a little bit of resistance training in a pregnancy safe manner, so that could be wall push-ups, squats are a great thing to do if you feel comfortable with that. And try and do that kind of, you know, safely, but do that to the point where you're feeling tired with it. Like don't just do one or two wall push-ups, but do a few so that you know your heart, you can feel your heart rate up a little bit and the squats the same thing, because that's what's really going to help. So putting a little bit of that resistance in every day can really help you. Resistance bands would be another safe thing to use during pregnancy, those elastic bands that you can put under your feet or in your doorknob and do some pulls with those. Um, Those would be really safe to do. So getting in some of that movement every day, like that dancing or walking, as well as a little bit of that resistance training to a point where your muscles are feeling a little fatigued is really good for your body, really good for your muscles, really good for your insulin sensitivity, really good overall. And again, exercise shows protective effects when it comes to preeclampsia. Also, stress control is definitely, definitely, definitely protective. Women who are in higher stress positions tend to have more pregnancy complications. So that doesn't mean you have to quit your excellent job that brings some stress with it. But it may mean that you want to cultivate some stress relief. And I want you to go back. I did a podcast episode on stress relief a few episodes ago. I went into a lot of detail on how you can cultivate mindfulness as a practice no matter what's going on in your life. And I definitely understand a life with a lot of stress. So I would really encourage you to do that. Go back and listen to that episode. I know I've gotten long here and I've got a full episode, but do not miss that episode. Please take a look at the show notes. I'll link right to it. And then I also did a live video earlier this week. If you're not in the Facebook group, please join the group, naturalbirthandbabycare.com slash group. We'll take you right there. Join the Facebook group. I did a live video this week. If you're listening to this episode in the future, you'll be able to go back and look at the video because all of the videos get archived in the group's media files. Talking about baby aspirin, baby aspirin is an evidence-based preventative measure for preeclampsia. If you know that you are at high risk of preeclampsia, you had it in a past pregnancy, you're older, you've had high blood pressure issues, any of those, I would highly recommend that you consider it. I go over all of the evidence, which is great, extensive, decades old, and all of the side effects, which to give you a little bit of a sneak peek are virtually none in that episode, but I talk about it in a lot more detail. I want you to listen to that because again, just like I said at the beginning of this episode, if you've got risk factors and things going on, I recommend that you be working with a care provider who's knowledgeable because even though I just have spent, what, 45, almost 50 minutes, maybe we're at 50 minutes here, talking about what you can do naturally and how big of a believer I am and how strongly I believe that the evidence supports that, I also believe that there are times when we look at the miracle of modern medicine and we say, you know what, it's given us some things. And and like I said on that episode, when we look at baby aspirin, we're actually looking at really kind of an herbal remedy that's just become medicine and our popular conception of it. Um, But, you know, aspirin is based on salicylic acid from trees. So we know that it seems to have a highly protective effect. It really shows a lot of promise and is underused. I think that we're seeing more use of it, which is why I chose to do a live on it is because more doctors and midwives are recommending it. So we've got a lot of moms coming into the group asking about it. But I definitely think it's something to consider strongly. Like I said, I did an entire live video on it that digs into a lot more. So definitely watch that or listen to that in the background while you're making dinner or something um, and, and use that to help you make a decision in your Um, in your case. Now, I also want to add on here that if you are worried about preeclampsia, you feel like you're already showing symptoms and signs, I would recommend that you follow the Brewer Diet's emergency protocol because that can be really helpful in reversing preeclampsia symptoms. And 
you can find out more about that by emailing me, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com. Definitely reach out to me. I will share the protocol with you and how to do it. It's, you know, it's, this is something that Joy Jones has made available. Um, and it involves a lot of eating, a lot of eggs, a lot of milk, a lot of salting to taste over a few days, but women do see it. Remember, remember I talked about that 1958 study where the salt for women seemed to turn around preeclampsia. The Brewer Diet's pregnancy, or the, the pregnancy, let me just start over. Sorry, ladies, I've been talking a long time. The emergency protocol for the Brewer, Brewer Diet has seen similar results for moms with uh, preeclampsia, with intrauterine growth retardation, with all of those sorts of things like fetal growth restriction. We see it turn around for moms. So if you are saying, okay, Kristen, I'm listening to this and all this is good and I'm going to implement this like tomorrow, I actually do believe you'll see it make a difference. But if you're like, I want to know what to do because I'm already seeing really frightening signs, shoot me an email, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com. I'll share the handout on that protocol with you so that you have that. So again, remember we have so much that evidence shows is so important. Salt to taste. Do not restrict salt. Not only is it not beneficial, it may be dangerous. Have a lower carb diet. Get plenty of healthy fats in your diet. Get plenty of protein. Eat the number of calories that you need every day. Add probiotic foods in. Make sure that you're eating foods that are high in choline, like eggs, um, and also eat those foods that are high in glycine, like those slow-cooked meats, poultry with the skin on, and get those, again, healthy fats. I already mentioned that, but the you know that salmon and the grass-fed meat, those pastured eggs, those are excellent. Fermented dairy products as well as fermented veggies. And then, of course, our usual suspects like avocados and leafy greens, especially kale, winter squashes, berries. All of these foods are heroes. Broccoli, these foods are really good. They're, they're not quite as high in nutrients as animal foods, but they have high potassium levels. They have high antioxidant levels. They're definitely good things to consider. And then there are supplements that you can consider consider particularly a CalMag zinc supplement um, and then a vitamin D and iodine supplementation are things that can be considered. Get in that movement, do that stress control, consider baby aspirin. These things are all really evidence-based, show a lot of promise. And as more and more women know about these things, I think that we'll see fewer and fewer cases of preeclampsia. Again, if you want practical help on, okay, Kristen, you just gave me all of this. Now, how do I put it into practice and actually eat this stuff? Check out the pregnancy diet class, birthbabylife.com slash diet. Or if you're wanting one-on-one help, you need some hand-holding or just somebody to help you design your meal plans or make sure that your meal plans happen. I definitely know that feeling. Reach out to me, Kristen, at naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and we'll jump on the phone and talk about what you need. With that, I will finish up uh, for this week. I don't remember right now what we're going to talk about next week, but I promise that I will be here, and we will be able to enjoy that episode together. I love working with you. Reach out to me if you need anything. Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.